Hello and welcome, my ghost story lovers. This is Beyond the Veil, Paranormal Tales, and I'm your host, Becca. You can also find us in blog form at beyondthevailparanormaltales.com if you'd like to read instead or read along. Join me here as I sit out under the stars, listening to the nocturnal insects as they sing their summer evening songs. Listen in as I tell you some real people's spooky stories, told in their own words. Some of these spooky stories may contain adult language. Listeners, be advised. If you are new to the blog and podcast, while you should generally be able to pop in and enjoy any individual episode on its own, I do explain some things that make me different as I go along here, so you might want to pop back to episode one and start there, but as always, follow your heart. This week is also part three of the Ghost Hunt at the Pink Cadillac series, so if you haven't listened to episodes 10 and 11 yet, you'll definitely want to do that to get caught up for this week's story. As with last time, any names taken from the Ghost Train podcast episodes will remain the same here. Once again, any referenced episodes will be linked on the blog. I highly recommend listening to those linked episodes for more context of this property, this situation, and all the people involved. Other names outside of those linked episodes have been changed to protect privacy. That said, you have my word. All stories told here are real, to the best of my knowledge. So, start your own carefully controlled fire, grab yourself a drink, and your favorite fuzzy blanket to hide beneath, and settle in with me as we take a peek at the world that lies beyond the veil. Author's Episode Note The first two installments of the Ghost Hunt at the Pink Cadillac series each came with a warning, and I extend that warning to this episode as well, just to be safe. I've had ongoing technical issues while writing, listening, and editing each of these episodes. My phone has freaked out and closed on me while listening to the Ghost Train podcast episode in preparation for this week. It closed multiple times in a row, then inexplicably started working fine again with no changes on my part. And there's, as ever, been ongoing knocking in the walls around me as I work on writing and editing the text for this week's episode. It's been noisier than usual, and it isn't coinciding with any weather issues. So, listen at your own risk. This story really may not want to be heard. With that, you've been warned. On with the show. Tonight is episode 12, The Ghost Hunt at the Pink Cadillac, Fallout. So last week, I talked about the night at the Pink Cadillac for The Ghost Hunt. It was a feelings-filled evening, and overall, upon waking in the morning, I remained really creeped out by what we experienced there. I kept replaying the evening in my mind, and then analyzing all of my feelings throughout the building but it was extremely overwhelming with all of the varied feelings I kept getting, either off other people or off the spirits. 
It had been an exhausting night, and I pried myself out of bed and went off to make a nice big pot of coffee. I was still processing the evening before, and while I got the kettle going for my pour-over coffee, I debated playing a podcast to listen to while I worked. I debated looking for another Ghost Train episode, or maybe Ghosts in the Burbs, or Two Girls, One Ghost, but I honestly just couldn't stop thinking about the night before and decided to run with that instead. So I turned the iOvilus app back on. Again, my referenced app logs will be shared on the blog for your perusal. So, I turned the app back on for fun. Why I thought it would be fun after the night we'd just had, I don't know. I must be an optimist or something, but I was wrong. It just continued to yell at me to do something. My first word of the day was tight. I let it sit there for a while, but it wasn't explaining what was tight or doing anything at all. So I gave up and turned it off for a while and went about my morning. And, as usual, when I slowed down to make myself something to eat, I tried the app again. It said, Measure. Hundred. I nodded and answered. It does feel like there's a lot of things there at the store. It sat quiet, and I made my sandwich. Wheat, it said, and I laughed, nodding. Measure, it said again, and I sighed. I did. Cannot, agent, it pleaded. Nona came alone, making no sense. Then it started in again in short bursts. Reached. Object, myself, fear. Node. Come, afraid. Geek, placebo, manual. I can't, I sighed. I'm sorry you're afraid. Reach out to Monica. The store people don't know anything about me. Strange, it shot back, and I shrugged. Prayer, it clarified, and added, Shoes, yourself. I can't, I sighed again. This is what it's actually like talking with spirits. They're stubborn, and sometimes they want things you can't do for them, and they either can't understand or won't. I ran around the house and did some things, then found my way back into the kitchen, and I opened my phone again as my screen had closed itself. The iOvilus started in immediately, as if it had been waiting for me to turn it on again. It said, cells. I didn't get it, and wondered if it tied in with the earlier words and checked the log. The last word was yourself, so it didn't really. I asked, do you mean my phone? Or cells in the body? Or jail cells? I waited for clarity, and none came. I paused and made myself a cup of coffee and returned to find the screen had closed itself again. I grabbed up the phone, sighing at it, and sat down to fix the little annoying issue. From my perspective today, I look back at last year me and scoff. (laughs) Talk about first world problems. Wow, the touchscreen computer in my pocket keeps shutting off too fast. But that morning, back in the olden days... 
you know, last year, before masks were made mandatory at Costco, enraging the masses, and before the renewed, or dare I say ongoing, need to march in the streets en masse to fight rampant racial and social injustices, because those injustices don't enrage enough people. Again, it seems so silly now, but a year ago, my short screen timeout was a legitimate minor annoyance, and it was a problem I was determined to fix. I fiddled with my screen settings, then popped back into the gray screen and set it down on the table. The app jumped in again as if it had been waiting. Friends, bacon, hundred, wheat, yourself, it said, and I laughed. I'd been figuring out what to make for dinner later. After a pause, it added, knit. I nodded. I was wearing another sweater. What can I say? Spring in the mountains is chilly. Threat. Measure. It said again. Johnny came through alone, making no sense. After a bit, it said, sip. Agent. Then, cord. Woman. Remove. Machine. Geek. Spring. That was an interesting one. There's a machine? Does it mean the portals? It continued. Strange prayer. Shoes, word, shoes. I sighed again. May I ask your name? I asked mentally and waited. After a moment, the screen said, Telepathy. I laughed and shrugged. I kept it on as I searched the pantry for dinner ingredients, waiting for something to spark an idea, and the app spat out a few more words that didn't make any sense to me. Bit. Begin. Nor. Fear. After fear came, I asked mentally, Why are you afraid? But no answer came. I threw dinner together for the night, turned my phone back over to the Iovilus, and set it down next to my place at the table. My plan was to let it run and watch it while I ate, while also watching a movie with the kids. I called the kids to come get their plates together, and ran a plate up to my husband, who was working late in his office. I wandered back down to the kitchen and got my own plate together, returned to the table, and saw fresh words on the phone's screen. I opened the log on the app to see what I had missed, and I just laughed. Just after I called the kids to come eat, it spat out, Wheat. Bacon. Cannot. Sounds like a teenager who is hungry, always thinking about food, but the cannot at the end was just kind of sad. He wants to eat, but he can't. Poor kid. I thought, I'm sorry, that sucks. The app sat silent for a few minutes. It piped up. Object. Agent. Grandfather. Hundred. My brow furrowed as I ate, and I mentally asked, Is this Gus? From the store? You could be a grandfather now, sure, and you would be over one hundred years old by now. He didn't answer if it was him. A few minutes later, it said, Yourself, body, geek, come. I sighed again, shaking my head. It continued after a pause. Threat, 
measure. I shook my head again. Over the next few minutes, it said, Strange, prayer, energy, spring, telepathy, threat, remove, fear. I sighed and finally just answered aloud, I can try and feel it out from home, I guess, but I can't really do anything about any of this. I won't do a remote cleansing without people asking me to. I can do that, but I won't. I'm sorry you're scared. Like I said before, reach out to Monica. The store people trust her. I know she can hear you, and she can help you. Just go talk to her. Legion, it spat out again, and I just nodded. There really were a lot of things going on in that space. I let the screen go dark for a bit, and when I turned it back on, 20 minutes later, it was like it was jumping right back in. Billion, it said, paused, and then said, bacon, wheat, and I shrugged. There's nearly always someone eating in our house, or grazers most of the day. It kept harassing me through the evening. Placebo, cannot, agent. Shoes, hundred, bright. Yank, geek, yet. Geek, yourself, prayer. Strange, measure. Jackie. Everything made sense for the most part until the name. No idea who Jackie is. It didn't say anything else, so I decided to ask a direct question. I was still skeptical of the app and was still unsure if it was just a random word generator, so I decided to test it. I lifted the corner of my knee-length sweater for a moment, asking, What's this called? I dropped the sweater edge and waited. Threat, it spat out, and I wondered if it was still talking about Jackie. After a moment, it said, Knit. It paused, but then it definitely answered my question. It said, complete, object. Then it changed the subject again. Phantom, spring. Come, sip. Telepathy. Prayer, shoes, strange, yourself. Hundred. Bacon. Agent, fear. Afraid, come. I realized I wasn't going to get anywhere with this. They were just going to keep asking me to come help. I really hoped Monica would see the issue we felt and take care of things soon. I tried to change the subject and asked a direct question again, repeating my earlier one. What's this? What I'm wearing? What's it called? I picked at my sweater again, hoping for the word sweater or even jacket. Something more specific, but anything descriptive would do. My sweater of the day was a knee-length, cream-colored, cable-knit sweater with quarter-sized wooden buttons that I wear buttoned at the waist. After a pause, it answered, Knit. It paused and tried again. Placebo. Object. I shrugged and nodded. I guess it was doing its best, and I should stop pressing the issue. It changed the subject back again. Spring, telepathy, shoes, strange, yourself. 
Yep, I'm strange. Thanks. I laughed, deflecting. Saturn, it said. I laughed and asked, I'm really out there, huh? I grinned and waited for clarity. None came. Instead, it said, cannot lead, measure, remove legion, threat. It was beginning to sound like a broken record. How many times can I say to go talk to Monica? Yeah, yeah, I shook my head at them. I kept it on as I headed upstairs for bed. I rounded the corner into my room and found my husband sitting in bed playing a game on his phone. Ray looked up as I walked in and we grinned at each other briefly, then went back to our own things. I set my phone and water on my nightstand and saw the screen had changed again. It read, Husband, Quest. I laughed, nodding. He was playing a game. I plugged my phone in for the night and ran off to brush my teeth and flush my stuffy brain with saline solution. While I did that, Ray and I discussed an upcoming event with friends. We debated what food to prepare and which geeky games we should suggest to play. I returned to my phone to find L. Happen. Geek. Bacon. Wheat. Friends. Come. I laughed. Okay, maybe it is kind of listening in. It's saying things that are happening around us, but in different words. It got me thinking. If I wasn't paying attention, I might miss it and misunderstand. Levitation, it said, and I laughed. Okay, fine, maybe it doesn't always make sense. There has been no levitation going on anywhere that I'm aware of. It spat out, placebo, then went quiet for a while. My husband started looking for a show to watch, and we settled in for the night. He reached over and squeezed my knee, and I pet his shoulder in reply. My Iovilus said, appetite. I chuckled for half a second, but thought, watch it, as I settled into bed. It got a bit suggestive with the next string of words, so I thought... I told you to watch it. You didn't. Bye. And I turned the app off, mentally evicting anyone left in the house for the night, and emailed myself the iOvilus log for the day. My husband turned on one of his favorite old shows, Star Trek The Next Generation, and I watched long enough to see which episode it was. I groaned and muttered something about it being a counselor-obvious episode as I rolled over in resignation. Ray laughed at my reaction to the old show, and I promptly fell fast asleep. The suggestive words from the Iovilus can be found at the bottom of the 42119 log if you really want to see them. It was kind of funny, but it feels like rewarding naughty children if I read them aloud here for you, so I won't. Anyway... Over the next several weeks, I did turn the Iovilus on here and there for fun, and I noticed something. I didn't get the same string of words that I had been getting before. They were totally different on these other attempts. They didn't come with a sense of urgency, but rather curiosity. I'm attaching those boring logs for your perusal, too, so you can see for yourself that the app doesn't just repeat those same urgent words again and again. 
Those words around that time definitely felt connected to the pink Cadillac boutique and my night there. As the weeks ticked by, I checked in with the Pink Cadillac's haunted page from time to time and with Monica's ghost hunting group, but didn't see any updates. I thought about the situation a lot, and when I was in the metaphysical shop for other reasons, I was drawn to purchase a black tourmaline stone, about the size of a golf ball, and I needed a two-inch selenite heart, too. But I didn't need them for myself. I knew Lisa needed to have them, so I got them. Yep, I bought these stones for this woman I barely spoke to, because the universe told me to do it. Because if I just have to buy something, even if I don't know the reason, I always do it. The reason I needed it always comes to me eventually. This may or may not be how I've spent a little too much money at random stores with Beth over the past few years. Haha, <laughs> shh. And I also needed about a dozen other stones and a handful of herbs and incense types I was running low on and probably a new tarot deck while I was there. I left the store with my tiny bag that somehow cost me $85, but it was happily humming in my hands as I climbed back into my car, so it was worth it. And then, of course, anxiety had to kick in, and I twisted over how to get the stones to Lisa without coming across like a total weirdo. I mentioned this to Beth, and she agreed, but laughed and sent me pictures of stones she had been drawn to purchase for Lisa as well. She'd picked up two stones, a rough black tourmaline piece and a polished onyx stone. They were excellent choices. Both were grounding, protective stones. I sent Beth a picture of the ones I got for Lisa, and she laughed in reply. She had looked at that same tourmaline stone as well, but was told not to buy that one, and was told to get the others. Too funny. Classic. The universe knew she needed them all, but knew I would buy my part of the collection on my own. Did you hear? And then, one morning, as I made the day's coffee and perused my Facebook feed, I saw Lisa from the Pink Cadillac had done another Ghost Train episode. I downloaded it for my commute that morning, and I listened as I drove, wondering what had changed for her since I was there. This latest episode of the Ghost Train, Everybody Welcome, came out on 6-10 of 2019. That's seven weeks after Beth and I were there, on 4-20 of 2019. Lisa said things have been getting creepy and weird, and she wanted to know if anybody else has had a similar experience to hers. She's been rattled about the things happening recently. Goosebumps covered my arms as I listened. Lisa started by saying she's been getting letters from beyond the grave. They were addressed to the store, and the return address also said the store. They seemed confused by this, but it made sense to me. What's the best way to ensure the letter arrives in the event the letter doesn't have enough postage or something? But they thought it was odd, and it also just had initials from the sender, not a full name. Another knock. The letter was from FMD. 
When she read the letter over, she saw the recommendation to put a sign in her window that said, Everybody Welcome. Lisa realized it was a reference to Fannie Mae Duncan. She'd come across some references to Fannie Mae when they were doing the renovations to the store and had done some research on the woman, so those words stood out to her. Fannie Mae had owned a club, the Cotton Club, which was just down the street from the store. She had the same sign in her club's front window to indicate black folks were welcome in her establishment, an unfortunate necessity as segregation was still alive and well at the time. Fannie Mae even bought a large house in town, both to live in and also to house the talented black musicians who came through her club. They simply needed a place to stay, but they weren't welcome to stay at either of the two affluent hotels in town at the time, the Broadmoor or the Antlers. So Fannie Mae saw the problem and fixed it herself, turning her new home into a hotel for these traveling folks. She was a shining pillar in the black community in our town back in those dark days. I've linked a local article about her involvement in the civil rights movement of her day if you'd like to learn a bit more about her. All of this was happening during the phase of the store's life where it was a music shop, which lasted from 1959 to 1977. The owners at the time, Charles and Betty Cleesey, ran a business that was welcoming to the black community at the time. They also knew Fannie Mae Duncan personally and had her over for coffee many times. Charles was even in the house band down at the Cotton Club. So, Lisa and her husband had found things during renovations that had pointed to Fannie Mae. Lisa had found and purchased her book, Everybody Welcome, and that book was tucked away in a drawer in her bedroom. She'd forgotten all about it until this letter showed up. The letter also had some other things on it that they continued to puzzle out. One puzzling note said, I'll be there May 4th. It turned out there was a public investigation scheduled for May 4th. But as the date grew closer, things were happening in the house again. They were running into some negative energy, so they actually canceled the event that had been scheduled for May 4th. They marked it as sold out, and skipped it, and had a cleansing done on May 5th instead. Monica came down to the house to do that cleansing, and Lisa said it was an epic evening. My ears perked up, but I had to pause my listening, though, to go work for a bit. I kicked myself for needing to have gainful employment, and thought about the episode all day while I worked, until I got back in the car for my drive home and could finish the story. So, Lisa said the evening was an epic one, and she wouldn't have believed it if she hadn't been there herself. They'd been having the bruising and stuff happening again, so they recognized it pretty fast this time around and called Monica in. Another knock. I nodded deeply as I listened. Monica came in with her big bag of stuff, like holy water, and told the others they needed to wait outside of the house. She said they needed to stay out there and only come in looking for her if she doesn't come out after two hours. So Monica went into the house to deal with the entity, while Lisa, her husband, and Robert all went into the yard to wait it out over barbecue. After a while, they heard a panicked scream. An odd scream, 
not like one she'd heard before, and Lisa's mind immediately started pinpointing where the noise might have come from. She remembered both houses on either side of theirs were empty, so she determined the noise could only have come from her house, which made her worry for Monica. So she ran into the house to check on her. Lisa found Monica in the basement, looking exhausted, and asked if she was okay. Monica said yes, and Lisa replied that they'd heard a scream. Monica nodded, said she would explain, and sent Lisa back outside while she wrapped up her work. When she came outside again, she explained that she had been fighting with the entity, which had been pushed down into the basement, maybe by the hippie gentleman, or maybe she was laying low. But when she pushed the entity out is about the same time that Lisa and Robert heard the scream, which they agreed was really weird. Lisa described it as being a female voice, wounded and panicked. Drew brought up the old hippie gentleman, who said he moved the entity from the store to the mountains and posed the theory that maybe he didn't actually do that. Lisa said he thought he did, but it didn't work. Monica thought that most likely he'd just pushed the entity down into the basement and kind of cornered it. She said it had never been human, and it wasn't a demon, but it wasn't good. She said it had been here a long time, probably longer than the house, and it was probably associated with the ground. As Lisa repeated what Monica told her, I just nodded deeply at each piece of information. That was all exactly the stuff Beth and I had picked up on, even before reaching the store for our night there. It was kind of nice to have confirmation of what we'd both felt, but only kind of. I don't like being right when it means people are in danger. Monica said the entity was laying low, then Lisa shifted gears to talking about an investigation just a week or two prior to May 4th. It was a public investigation, and they had allowed a Ouija board to be used. My ears perked up. That was my investigation. I was one of the ones who used the board that night. Then Lisa said, and I'm just going to quote her from the episode here for a moment so I don't mess it up. I'll be real honest. The more I've studied on Ouija boards or talking boards or speaking boards or whatever you want to call them, I've really never felt that they necessarily have power. It's the person using it. That maybe has ill intent or whatever. I think that's possible. Um, well, I'm really sure now. <laughs> but, so, there were some people at this investigation that I didn't know. And it's hard to say, yeah, I mean, what their intent was while they were using the board. And so, kinda, the way Monica explained it to me, because she was also here that night, so she witnessed everything. My husband and I always leave for the investigation. We take the dogs and cats. So, Monica, having been here and witnessed everything, she really felt like something came through the board that night. And felt like it was whatever this negative thing was, was in the basement that had been pushed down into the corners of the basement. The Ouija board had allowed it to sort of take over the house again. So, I was just sitting there in my driveway, gaping, listening to this, going, Hold the fuck up. She's talking about me. Me, maybe having ill intent. 
while using the board that barely did shit for me, under the direct supervision of the board's owner. Um, what? No. We barely spoke to anything that night, and nothing came through the board when we were messing with it for fucking sure. I'll admit I was getting a little irritated, and I sent the episode link to Beth to check my reaction. Was I misreading? Maybe I was. And if not, what do we do now? The last time we got together, Beth brought me the stones she'd picked up for Lisa for me to pass on for her. I was planning on running them down to the store someday soon before work, but now I knew I couldn't do that or she'd probably assume our gifts came with ill intent too, which I wouldn't blame her for. I groaned internally, musing over how to fix the misunderstanding. I rewound and listened to the last bit of the Everybody Welcome episode again to check the words and my initial reaction. Monica said the entity used the board to come through that night, but she didn't lay blame to the users. Lisa was blaming us a little, or speculating with suspicion at the very least. Okay, so of the two, Monica might be more open to conversation. I couldn't blame Lisa for her reaction, not after we'd been quiet while there and the way things panned out. I agreed Beth and my being there was likely a catalyst for the activity in the space, but I firmly believed it was not in the way they assumed. The end result is the same, though, so I don't know that the distinction matters much either way. Beth and I definitely knew the negative entity was still there before we even got to the store, and could see that she was being very sneaky and she very much disliked being seen for what she was. She lashed out in response. Unfortunately, that meant she lashed out at the people who lived there. Monica believed that it had been pushed down into the basement by the older hippie gentleman from that early investigation team, but she believed the entity had recently come back up and was taking over the house again. I felt the entity just wanted her space back. She hated all the humans in her place, like the shadow sheet elemental I dealt with at Amber's house back in episodes 6 and 7. He'd chosen to be spooky to scare people away, but she had been cruel to the humans on or near the property over the years to get them to move on. And she'd been doing this for 121 years by this point. She wasn't going to be reasoned with, not like the elemental was. So, I was really glad to hear Monica handled it and sent her off. And I also wondered where the entity was going to go, now that she was sent away from her home. I almost felt bad for her, if she hadn't been preying on innocent folks all this time. Almost. The podcast continued on as if all of that wasn't enough. After the eviction, Monica found Gus, the grumpy old man spirit, shoved into a corner. He didn't even know if he was wanted anymore. Lisa assured him he is always welcome there. And before Monica left, she said the entity is going to be looking for somewhere else to go. Lisa switched gears again, saying after Monica's cleansing, they went back to the prankster stuff, which was good for them. But Lisa said she also feels bad because she may have banished the entity to her neighbor's house. 
One next-door neighbor messaged Lisa the morning following Monica's cleansing. Her motion sensor cameras outside the house had been going off the night before. They showed images of a white mist or a fog in front of the cameras. They're motion sensor, but they're set to the least sensitive setting. This went on all night that night, every five to ten minutes. But this hasn't happened any other time before or since that night. Interesting. So, back to the letter. Just after the I'll be there May 4th line, it said, Celebrate me on July 5th. Special blessings, Fanny. The letter goes on using older verbiage, giving marketing advice, and it was signed FMD and Ed. Lisa looked it up, and July 5th is Fannie Mae Duncan's birthday, and her husband's name was Edward. So they'd puzzled out everything in the letter except one thing. The letter was written in one ink color, and in pink in one area was a crude pink drawing. It said, Pink Flamingo to Pink Cad. So they deduced the drawing was of a flamingo. Lisa was compelled to get the Everybody Welcome book out of her drawer, and looking at the table of contents, she found it. Chapter 15, Flamingo, Pink, Neon. It was a rather expensive sign in front of the Cotton Club. Lisa shared the letter on her Facebook page with lots of different people who don't know each other, and they collectively said it was a clairvoyant channeled letter, which is where she first heard the term. She said she didn't know that was possible. She knew about communication verbally, but she didn't realize spirits could channel into them and scribe a letter. Drew, the host, said he didn't know that either. It's something I have heard of, and I've also done it a few times. It's not my favorite form of communication, as it requires a spirit to touch you, but if a message is tricky and communication is poor, it can be a good way to get messages across. It's called automatic writing. You hold the pen or pencil in hand, place pen to the blank paper, and allow them to use your hand to write. I suppose there could also be a deeper form where a clairvoyant in a trance could be possessed by a spirit who uses their body to write in the moment. After that, Lisa ran the letter by Monica. Monica agreed that it looked like a channeled letter. Lisa had another psychic friend come by to hold the letter and feel it out, and the friend agreed that it was definitely from Fannie Mae Duncan, and it was definitely sent through a clairvoyant or a scribe or whatever. So, Lisa took note of the letter's contents and got a big chalkboard to go outside her store. She wrote, Everybody welcome, on it. She continued on telling another story, but my heart had stopped at that. I couldn't help but think, did she just give that old entity permission to come back? Oh no. I hope Monica stays vigilant. No, never mind, I know she will. I shook the thought away and tuned back in. There were just a lot of synchronicities. Toward the end of the episode, Drew said what I'd been thinking earlier. He asked Lisa if she thinks the sign, everybody welcome, if that means all the ghosts are welcome too. 
I nodded deeply because they will certainly read it that way. Lisa said they most likely do. Drew said he hoped the entity that they banished doesn't see the sign and think they're welcome back. They had a good chuckle about it, and Lisa said she'd just call Monica again. I chuckled at that and nodded, hoping it won't be necessary. There were a few other stories Lisa told that I didn't mention here, so again, I highly recommend popping over to the blog for the link to listen to the original podcast material for yourself. So, the stuff at the store seemed managed, and I was grateful for that, but I still felt the need to give Lisa those protection stones. I mulled over for a few days and ended up reaching out to Monica through her Paranormal Group's Facebook page. We had a good chat where I explained Beth and my side of the situation from our perspective. I told Monica we were concerned from the get-go, feeling one of the little girl entities at the store isn't actually a little girl. I was feeling she was actually an old entity who laughed at the silly old hippie man who thought he could handle her. I promised we were being careful and cautious the night of the ghost hunt. I told Monica how my Iovelis was giving me warning of danger ahead of my visit, and how both Beth and I were feeling negative things in various places throughout the evening. Monica had mentioned feeling the space was different than usual that night, and I explained I believed she was sensing my entourage, and told her a little about myself and my accidental collection of spirits. I described the negative entity as I felt her, and as Beth had described her, and said we'd left the store that night very worried for the owners. I'd made a comment to Monica on the way out the door, saying the feeling in the area might change after we leave, and explained that comment during our chat. I said, as I said that to her, I'd felt the entity prowling overhead like an angry cornered cat about to lash out. Monica was quick to agree the basement entity was very stubborn, and it was trying to overcome the house. We also chatted a bit about the nature of Ouija boards. Monica feels they are one of those types of items you cannot control. She said she'd felt something starting to fester, even with all the positivity and light in the store. She also felt a door was slightly cracked open, and she was worried about it. So, she said that's why she wouldn't touch the spirit board herself that night. Monica said, in fact, when the same board was being moved the following week, while it was in transit, odd stuff was happening to the truck that it was in. It actually turned off the truck that it was being transported in. Monica mentioned my Iovelis logs, saying prayer, and she said that was funny because prayer is heavily involved in her cleansing methods. I shared my logs with her so she could look them over and see if maybe she could make sense of anything I missed. We ended up setting a coffee date for the next time she was in town, in mid-July, and had a good talk that day, too. We met up at Pikes Park at 6894 Centennial Boulevard in Colorado Springs. It was a cute little place on the northwest side of town, just a bit south of the Air Force Academy. The place was quiet, and I beat Monica there, so rather than stand around awkwardly waiting for her, I decided to go ahead and order myself a drink. 
Their menu looked different than most of the foofy coffee bars in town, and as a former barista, I was intrigued. I wanted something different, so I ordered myself a traditional macchiato. The barista clarified it's not going to be like a caramel macchiato, and I said, yes, that's fine. Paid and sat in a small armchair near the door to wait. The coffee came out, essentially an espresso with a dollop of foam on top, which is what I expected. I was pleasantly surprised to also see a cup of sparkling water with it, too. The espresso was perfect, and the sparkling water made the perfect palate cleanser to follow each sip. I was sitting there, savoring my cup when Monica arrived, and she was intrigued by my choice of drink. I said it was delicious, and nodded enthusiastically as she set her things on the chair opposite me. She decided to try the same drink for herself, and we settled in for a lovely long chat. We talked about our different spiritual gifts and feeling things out, learning to hone your gifts over time, and some of the techniques we'd learned for that purpose. We chatted about the area of the city we were in and how the mountain has drawn both of us in with its mystique. We chatted about the pink Cadillac and how things went the night we were both there, and Monica's eyes went wide as I mentioned my entourage wanting to come along with me. I said I'd told them they could come watch but not intervene at all, and shrugged that they were just curious about the process. Monica's eyes went wide, and she said the environment there at the store that night had really thrown her off. And I felt bad. I hadn't realized she might be there, since it wasn't her group that was hosting the event, and it never occurred to me that my entourage could be bothersome to other people. After Jamie, my work friend, had approached me because of the entourage, you'd think I'd get it through my head, but apparently not. Monica then described what she saw that night. She said she saw a line of spirits running from the front of the store, by the front window, all the way along the wall, all the way to the back of the store. They stood there, shoulder to shoulder, just observing. I just had to laugh. Well, that confirms a few things for me and my entourage. Yes, there are a lot of spirits. They do follow me around, and they do listen to me when I tell them things. Good stuff, holds hold, I suppose. After a nice long conversation, as the day grew late and we both had other places to be for the evening, I ended up giving the protection stones to Monica. She passed them on to Lisa for me later that same night, when she dropped by for a visit there. Lisa touched base with me directly after that. I guess I no longer seem threatening, so I suppose that's good. I'll take what I can get. Since the events in this episode have played out, things moved forward at the Pink Cadillac, as always. They continued hosting Ghost Hunt Nights and had a little metaphysical fair of sorts on Halloween last year. But in December, tragedy struck the owners there, and Lisa's husband sadly passed away suddenly. They have since removed the Haunted Boutique page from Facebook and no longer advertise ghost hunting nights on their website. I'm not certain if this is a temporary or a permanent change for them, but 
You can always watch their main Facebook page for updates and any upcoming event information. In any case, if you decide to pop in to shop there or to feel the store out for yourself, I ask one small favor. Please be respectful of their wishes if they don't want to talk about their haunting anymore. Thanks. Also, I had a realization about the spirit board being the opening the entity used to cross through the veil. Remember how I didn't want to leave it sitting open, with the planchette on the board just chilling on the kitchen table? Yeah. So, while I know nothing came through the board while I was sitting in contact with it, I wasn't there all night, and it was open on that table when we left. I'm not at all sure what happened with it after that. And remember, Monica said it gave them trouble when they were moving it? Yeah. Anyway. Thank you all so much for joining me. If you have a paranormal story of your own to share, perhaps you've caught a mysterious, misty figure on your security cameras, or you've heard an unearthly scream in the night, or been haunted by something like the vampiric entity that lurked at the pink Cadillac, please do write in and tell us all about it. Send me your stories, or reach out to schedule a social distance interview, if you prefer, and I'll retell your stories here. Reach out through our contact page at beyondtheveilparanormaltales.com. All stories will be anonymous, as always, for your protection. Again, for this week's episode, all names gathered from other podcasts remain the same here. All original material links can be found on this week's blog post. You can find us on social media, if you like. We have a Facebook page, a Facebook group, and an Instagram account. All episode-related artwork and images will be shared across all platforms. Come on and join us, but play nice, or I'll put you in timeout. If you'd like to support the blog and podcast, you can do that by listening, telling a friend, or writing and reviewing us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rating us on Apple Podcasts is a huge help if you care to do so. I really do appreciate it. It really does help other people like you find us. If you like what you hear and you'd like to leave a little tip, you can do that over on Patreon. Your donation helps cover the cost of production and helps replace dying equipment as is needed. If you do choose to donate, thank you so much. I think that about wraps it up for tonight. You stay cozy by that fire there until you're ready to douse those coals. Then keep that blanket wrapped around you as you make your way back inside for the night. But watch those dark corners as you move about. You know the ones. The shadows loom tall and it feels like something is reaching out to grab your ankle as you pass by, hoping to trip you. Watch your step. Until next time, this has been Beyond the Veil, Paranormal Tales, with Becca. Sleep tight. Some names in the story have been changed to protect privacy. All other details of the stories remain true to fact. <laughs>